Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories. So my name is Tia Jorgensen, public affairs specialist with the North Dakota Army National Guard. Um, When I enlisted, I enlisted as a water treatment specialist and uh, just kind of by luck of my connections with Team Red, White, and Blue got asked to join the public affairs detachment, and I can't imagine having any other job in the military. So what does that mean to be uh, with the public affairs detachment? So our, you know, I'm still your M-Day soldier, which for normal units is the one weekend a month, two weeks in the summer. Ours is a little different just because we sometimes have to split out to cover specific events throughout the year but my job is essentially to follow soldiers around and take pictures interview them and write stories about all the cool things that they're doing without actually having to do all the hard stuff that they're always doing was there ever a a story that surprised you you know like uh, my first like event that i covered Uh, I wasn't even officially covering it. I was just officially got moved into the unit, and I just so happened to be on ADOS orders working up in the suicide prevention uh, office, and I heard them say that General Mark Graham would be flying it at a certain time, and, like, you would have thought that I said Brad Pitt was coming, right? Like, (laughs) I jumped out of my seats, and I'm like, like Mark Graham? And so for people, you know, who are familiar with Team Red, White, and Blue, uh, we know that as Joe Quinn's in-laws and just the story of the Grams and everything they've done. So my first event was a family of the fallen event, meaning the National Guard brings together all the families of those we've lost um, from any branch that have served from North Dakota. And it just so happened that Mark and Carol Graham were speaking at it. Um, And so that was my first event. And then just covering and talking to and really listening to the stories of all the families. Um, This is the first year in four years that I haven't been a part of it because of COVID. So it's not one specific story, but it's just kind of the stories of those that we've lost in North Dakota and learning that... We had a, a man from North Dakota who was killed in the Fort Hood attack, um, you know, years ago, and just things that you didn't realize. Any of those stories um, over the years that have really stuck with you? Uh, yeah. Um, so we have uh, 
two families in particular, actually. One lost a daughter and one lost a son, both to suicide. Um, it, you know, and I I won't say their names, just one of the families is very, you know, um, they're very active in suicide prevention. The other one, they don't believe it's their story to tell, but it's just seeing what they've done with the death of their loved ones and how they move forward and just kind of all the obstacles that they've overcame as families. Um, I, you know, last year I got to go to TAPS with a lot of these families on National Guard orders out in D.C. over Memorial Day. And so it's just, there's a lot of them um, that I stay in contact with way more than I ever imagined doing, you know. So why join the the uh, the South, sorry, North Dakota Army National Guard? It's going to sound very cliche. Um, I was 27 years old, and I wanted to serve my country. Um, I've always been very patriotic. My dad was Air Force. My stepmom did 20-plus years in the Air Force. Her parents both did 20 years in the Air Force. Um, and I almost enlisted when I was 18, but it wasn't the right time for me. I was scared. It was kind of the height of Iraq and it it just, I'm really glad I waited. Although now I'd be closer to my 20 years than my eight years if I had, but, um, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. I don't think I would have stuck it out. Um, yeah, I genuinely wanted to serve my country. How do you think your experience was different than maybe your fellow soldiers in basic training since you were almost 10 years older, uh, eight, eight years older than most of them. Uh, you know, I, I joke, but I'm serious that living with 50, 18 year old girls was the most challenging part for me. Um, you know, to begin with, I'm an introvert. I prefer to be by myself. I prefer things to be quiet. So that in and of itself was a challenge. Um, but I think just having some life experiences and having traveled and you know we when you grow up in North Dakota we we essentially grow up in a bubble um it's it's a unique place to grow up and I'm very fortunate that I've had the ability to travel and kind of see the country and meet a variety of different people otherwise I think my basic training could have been a little bit more challenging for me but you know you realize the drill sergeants they can't actually hurt you <laughs> They can't do anything to you. And I'm the type of person I don't like failure. I don't like to get in trouble. I don't like to do things wrong. So I still always had a very high standard for me myself, but I didn't have like pure fear like a lot of the younger kids did. What was the hardest what was the hardest part about basic training? Um keeping keeping my my mouth shut. I'm a very assertive person. <laughs> so, you know, like but no, in all honesty, um, for me, I think just kind of being 27 and already having, you know, I had a, a boyfriend at the time who's now my husband, and I was just really starting off in my career in the fitness industry, and my niece and nephew, and just, you know, being separated from family for that time, you don't realize, you know, just how connected we are all the time now and not having constant access was a challenge and the monkey bars the monkey bars were always a challenge <laughs> now do you have children i don't i have a, a niece and a nephew though that are my world so is it 
is it hard to, I guess, to be a soldier in the world today um, with all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world with those with those attachments? It's it's you know it's super unique. So like without diving too much into it, uh, a few years ago, North Dakota had a very large protest here, um, DAPL, the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, which was 30 minutes from where I live. And, um, you know, that was really the first look of wearing the uniform and people not necessarily being proud of you. Like North Dakota, man, people love their airmen. They love their soldiers. They, they're so receptive to the military here. And that was really the first look of like, okay, not everybody feels that way. And, we have a job to do and you know so it's kind of the same thing today where I'm still it's one of the proudest things I do every time I put on that uniform even though you know I I've been in eight years and I've I have yet to deploy um sometimes you kind of think to yourself like well I really haven't done a whole lot yet but wearing the uniform is still one of the the proudest things that I can do and with everything going on in the world, you want to be really aware of, you're aware that that uniform doesn't mean the same thing to everybody, but I know what it means to me. Um, and it's still, I love putting it on. With that, the possibility of deployment, how do you, have you done anything, do you do anything to make sure that you're, I guess, always prepared for that possibility? You know, it's, um, I, I own a fitness studio here in Bismarck. Um, that's been my business for the last five years. So the physical component was always the easiest for me um, up until this this last year where I have severe depression. Um, and so the de- my depression really is kind of like, I w- if I'm being honest, I'm not as prepared as I would love to be, um, which when you realize like you can face separation from service if you're not physically fit and things like that um it's enough drive to kind of get you back going but yeah just you know i my unit is only eight people um so we're a very small unit and it's we all you know we kind of have a a motto we work hard and we play hard you know we just we enjoy being around each other um we, like I said, we haven't had the opportunity yet uh, to deploy since I've been in, but uh, it's not something that, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the opportunity when it does happen. Can Can you talk a little bit about how um, the pandemic has impacted you as a small business owner? I'll be honest. Um, if I, I'm also a state employee, I'm a full-time 911 dispatcher, and if I was not, uh, my business would not be open uh, with the pandemic it I wouldn't have survived so for me it's I got very fortunate my landlord um, has been incredible to work with and you know the state shutting down we were shut down for two months Um, but my clients over the past five years have become family to me Um, and there are other people in the fitness industry in Bismarck that were hit pretty hard who 
luckily one of them who's you know, vision with what she wants to do with fitness. And it's so much more than just physical activity. Um, we were actually able to combine and she's now been brought on as a 50, 50 in the the studio. And so I have, who do I have five trainers now in my studio with me. So if it really wasn't just for, uh, the kindness of my landlord, um, my husband's support and like letting me maintain the studio, you know, um, when it wasn't bringing in income and then just really my, my clients are a second family and then the other trainers, but yeah, it's been a very stressful, very stressful year. With that. And you mentioned a little bit, um, you know, kind of the struggles with depression. So what, what have you done as a, as I guess, as someone in the, in the fitness industry and, and a trainer, what do you tell, what would you tell your clients if they were in your shop today saying, hey, I'm just really struggling, I don't know what to do? So I'm a little different than a lot of fitness professionals. I don't believe, um, you know, I don't like the, the saying, no excuses. I don't like, I, I get it, but at the same time, like some of us getting out of bed in the morning, like that's our struggle, that's our it's an obstacle to just physically get out of bed. Um, and so when my clients are in there, all I ask for them is that they're giving me a hundred percent, uh, for that day. And that we realize that a hundred percent today does not have to look the exact same as tomorrow or the next day, as long as we are getting and giving a hundred percent and being honest about that. Has that ever been difficult when you think about, um, how do you how do you balance that out so that you're still successful but meeting the demands you know i'm i've been pretty open about my struggle with depression um i find that for me i have to be uh, that being said i do understand that there are people who don't understand it and it's not that they don't want to or that they're not trying to their their mind just can't wrap around how debilitating depression can be and so for me just being honest about it like hey today is a tough day um but people who know me uh, i'm not one to like i'll give everything i have every time i do anything you know so people that know me know that uh, i'm being honest about everything and just pushing forward and the big thing is is just like i've learned you know um I trained through a 50 for a 50 K. Um, and there were days where the last thing you wanted to do was go run for six hours. Um, and so, and actually I, I worked with my coach, like that's a great example because the, the depression was, it was pretty bad then too. Like he would have set goals for me for mileage and things like that. And if I couldn't hit 12 miles, for whatever reason, um, it would really be debilitating just to myself and everything. So we changed it. We changed it from mileage to hours because then if I had to go slower, if I had to walk a little bit more, it was okay. I was still hitting my goals, you know? So we just kind of adjust your mentality and how you look for things and how you, I guess, how you scale things, you know? Has, has your own experience with depression impacted how you interact with other service members or veterans that might be having similar struggles? Oh, hardcore. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm super open about it, um, which is odd 
uh, when you're still wearing the uniform, right? Like we don't yeah. want people to know is kind of been the mentality. I will say that um, our leadership in the North Dakota National Guard um, is phenomenal in regards to understanding mental health is a key component to readiness. And so they make it easier and there's a lot of resources, but just... I think by me being so open about it, it allows other people to feel comfortable in talking like, oh, you know, we may we may not all be experiencing the exact same things and the situations may all be different, but we all know what it's like to to be very honest, like we all know what it's like to wonder if tomorrow is worth living for, you know. So how do you I guess how do you help someone when when you recognize, hey, that person's really struggling? Whether it's as a nine one one operator or, or you know, just as a friend, how do you help? What do you say to that person? You know, the biggest thing is letting. It's again sounds cliche, but letting people know they're not alone. Um, and uh, for me, it's a little different. I've got extensive training now in suicide prevention, um, where I actually go around and I provide training, but. It's really just letting people know that they're there for you. Um, you never want to minimize what somebody's going through. And if you don't understand, like, it's okay to say, hey, <laughs> what you're going through obviously is really challenging. I don't understand it, but I'm here for you. And so, uh, you know, I'm a pretty bubbly, like, you wouldn't know that I struggle with depression, um, from the outside. And so I think when people see people that either run a business or are in the military or, you know, people who are active in their communities, they don't really think of people who, who struggle. Um, and so for me, it's just being willing to listen as well as share and let people know that they're truly not alone. I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them. Hi, I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee. Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches. Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views. That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your involvement with Team RWB. What made you decide um, to get involved? And at what point in your military career did you decide to get involved with with this veteran support organization? (laughs) So I got home from basic and AIT mid-2014. Came across the awesome Eagle shirt uh, later that year, September or October-ish. Um, signed up. The gym I was working for at the time would not allow me to host any free events for Team Red, White, and Blue. They wanted to charge for it and things like that. And so uh, April of 2015 is when I opened my own business. And the first thing I did was reach out to Kathy, who was at the time our chapter captain, and said, hey, how can I get involved by offering free classes? And her response was to send me to a yoga leadership camp in Chicago. (laughs) And so that was like my first true event was going across the country um, 
and it was there that the deputy director, JJ, said, you know, inaction is not an option. And for some reason, that statement stuck with me. And a few months later, I was asked to step into the chapter captain role, which uh, has really just... The organization has, without a doubt, saved my life. It's projecting, you know, my my business would not be where it's at without Team Red, White, and Blue. Um, I applied for the fellowship, I want to say 2016, um, on a whim, because I believe in always trying to better yourself, and had no clue that that was even going to, you know, come through. And in that year, I traveled the country, I met people, just the incredible people, and now... Um, I am still the chapter captain in Bismarck, but I'm also the state coordinator for North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. So you said Team RWB really saved your life. How? How did they do that? Um, I, you know, I really was, I, I say I'm super open about the struggle with depression, which is where I'm at now. And I remember being at trail camp in October of 17 and listening to one of the mentors talk um, about how she, you know, like she was so opposed to antidepressants and things like that. And it, that flight home, like I remember very vividly in the Denver airport, there's an area that you come down this escalator and it's these, the small gates that essentially send you home to North Dakota type planes, you know? And, um, I, I had a full on breakdown outside my gate in the Denver airport when all the other Eagles who were there with me went off to, you know, fly back to Colorado Springs or, and I was standing there all alone. And it was kind of there that I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to change this narrative. Like, and so it was through team red, white, and blue and working with other, other members, um, that I really learned to talk more about like my story and my struggle and just genuinely knowing that I could travel to North Carolina and I would have a family there waiting for me or I could go out to Texas or Seattle, you know. Or Salt um, Lake City. Or Salt, yeah, which I'll, <laughs> I will be in Salt Lake next month for Team Red, White, and Blue, so I'm super excited. Um, but, yeah, it's just, you know, and there's, I don't know how deep we want to get here, but, like, a girl that I met, uh, Colorado Springs, her name's Abby. Her and I got partnered up to be roommates at storytelling camp and just, we clicked instantly. And there was the one day that, um, like it was when my depression was at its worst and it was literally a moment of like, okay, um, just wondering how many, Benadryl or something I could take to sleep for like eight weeks. I didn't really, you know, I was very um, ambivalent about whether I wanted to still be here or not. And Abby called me just out of the blue and she's like, hey, something told me I needed to give you a call. You know, so like it, my connection through Abby or with Abby through Team Red, White, and Blue and that phone call, I, I don't know what would have happened if she hadn't called me. You know, so it's, 
it's just it's crazy what the organization has done for me when I started with it I couldn't speak I remember Sarah Roberts our area director forcing me to speak in front of people at this go-ruck camp and I wanted there was 20 people there I wanted to cry I wanted to throw up and you know just this last January I spoke in front of 4,000 people nationwide uh doing a suicide prevention training so it's just it's crazy to see the growth that the organization has allowed for me personally with that in mind what would you tell uh veterans that that you meet some guys getting ready to get out of the military what do you how do you tell them to 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 stay safe i guess you know, like for me, for me, it's been Team Red, White, and Blue. Uh, there are so many great organizations out there. And obviously, Team Red, White, and Blue is mine, right? Like, that's what I, I promote to anyone. But it's find something that brings you a sense of purpose again. Um, I don't know what it's like to separate from service, Um but I know what it's like, like when I had to take this job for to become a 911 dispatcher, just financially, it's what made sense. And, um, you know, even though I didn't give up my business, I'm still full time at my studio. Like I really felt like I was a losing part of who I was. And I get that it's not the same thing, but there's that loss of purpose and kind of sense of like, where am I at? What am I doing with my life? And so just finding something, whether it's Team Red, White, and Blue, running, you know, working with other veterans, uh, just finding something that brings you joy, brings you purpose, and allows you to connect with people um, at the level that you need to connect with them. Will you, do you encourage your niece and nephew to join the military, or would you? That's a loaded question, but without <laughs> without a doubt. And it's it's like, you know, my nephew, um, my nephew, my sister and I growing up, it was just my mom, my sister, and me. And so when my nephew was born, it, it, he's just my bud, right? He's eight now, but he is my best friend. And like growing up, he's finally growing out of the phase of auntie's the coolest person in the world, <laughs> you know, but like he always wanted... Uh, he still talks about military. He's He sees people wearing Team RWB up in Minot, and he'll go approach them. And my niece, before she could even really speak full sentences, she could recognize a Vietnam veteran hat, and she'd go shake some guy's hand in the pizza shop up in Minot, you know? <laughs> so there, she, she talks now. She's only six, and she talks about wanting to be a, a vet in the military. But... I I think that I don't believe the military is for everybody. Um, I believe you have to truly want to serve, and, to, and for whatever that reason is for you. Um, but I, especially the National Guard, it's been so good to me, and we could list all the, the recruitment list of benefits, but I tell you what, when I enlisted... I have a very supportive family. I have a great support system. And I don't think one person genuinely thought I would make it through basic training. <laughs> I was so high maintenance. Um, I mean, like, my goal in life was to own a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes, you know? Like, I just, I don't think anyone truly thought I was going to make it. And I came out, I did phenomenal through basic, honor grad through AIT. And so I think just that sense of purpose and accomplishment, I would hands down 
tell my niece and nephew to enlist in whatever branch, you know, suited them. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps grow our audience. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.